In this episode, I had the pleasure of interviewing Nicholas Savayos, an incoming UCSF medical student. We talk about the superpower of connecting to other humans, how to create positive environments, the underrated skill of listening, and we take a deep, deep dive on Nicholas's op-ed for the Daily Bruin titled, For Students of Color, Imposter Syndrome Can Add to the Challenge of College. God, I'm still buzzing after this episode. I personally learned a lot from it, and I hope you do too. Please DM me on Instagram to let me know how you enjoyed this episode. Here it goes. Let's finish strong, publish in JAMA. Flex on the world, motor neuron gamma. Take your time, cook some dinner. Type 1 fibers, we ain't no sprinters. Yo, let's get it. Mike Will made it. That's fire. Hey there, everyone. This is Michael. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of Pass the Mic, where I have the pleasure of sharing the narratives of imminent or current medical professionals. In short, my job is to build you a community of mentors from the folks that have come before you. I am super stoked to record another episode with one of my closest friends, Nicholas Ceballos. That is N-I-C-O-L-A-S space C-E-V-A-L-L. OS, Nicholas Ceballos. Nick and I graduated from UCL in 2019. He did so with a major in human biology and society and a minor in global health. Although the Bruin family is sad to be losing him, he'll be joining his blood family up north studying medicine at UCSF. The two Ceballos brothers are going to be making up, making some noise up there for sure. To date, Nick has been involved in a variety of activities. I'll make sure we touch on some of those today but they include serving as a Special Olympics coach, a public health intern for the Flying Samaritans, an intern for TEACH, which stands for Together Educating and Advocating Community Health, a CPR and first aid instructor, a clinical research volunteer with the Assessing Residence CI Care or ARC Medical Program, a recreation aide at his home community's Parks and Recs Center. Finally, and these two activities are where I I have had the pleasure of interacting with Nick the most. He's also served as a peer learning facilitator for the academic advancement program at UCLA and is my personal lab manager for the Department of Orthopedic Surgery. But I'd be doing him a disservice if all I did was read out a list of all that he's been involved with. What you won't see on paper are the times that Nick is the first person in the lab, often before 6 a.m. to prepare for big, big surgery days. What you also won't see on Nick's paper, what you also won't see on paper is Nick's love for mentorship. He and I co-authored Your Bruin Guide to All Things Pre-Med, a 40-page ebook that discusses what students should be focusing on every year of their pre-med journey and discusses frequently asked questions like, how do I get involved with research? Or how do I choose the right extracurriculars? Lastly, you won't see the number of IM championships the guys won. I'm only aware of this ridiculous, I'm only aware of his ridiculous speed on the basketball court and the flag football field, but I'm sure there's more where that came from. You can find Nicholas if you want to say hello, ask a question, or race him, although I wouldn't advise it, on email at nicholas.savarios at ucsf.edu. That's N-I-C-O-L-A-S dot C-E-V-A-L-L-O-S at ucsf.edu. I'm personally grateful to carve out some time to have a nice conversation with my forever friend today. Nicholas, thanks for coming on to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm 
thank you for the introduction. I was, uh, that was impressive. You, you knocked my socks off with that one. I think, you know, my activities better than I do. Um, but yeah, I'm, I'm very humbled and happy to be on the show. And yeah, uh, thank you for that. Yeah. I, uh, I actually have a, I, I struck a deal with the AMC and they've given me everyone's medical school application. So I just copied it and pasted straight from there. Dude, got the, got the inside scoop. <laughs> I wish I could have that kind of deal. All right. So I'll, um, I'll go ahead and shoot you some rapid fire questions just so your audience can get, kind of get to, or the audience can kind of get to know you a little bit, um, a little bit better. Are you ready for some questions? Let's do it. All right. Number one, where'd you grow up, Nick? Grew up in uh, Chula Vista, California. For those that don't know, that's Southern San Diego. I live about like five miles or 10 minutes from the United States, Mexico border. Nice. Nice. Number two, what is your favorite quote? For some reason there's this one, someone asked me that I think like four years ago and this one quote just always sticks to me, but it's, it's from John F. Kennedy. Um, it's asked not what your country can do for you, but what you can do for your country. And I feel like it just speaks volumes to the fact to remain proactive and always look for ways to help, you know, and in a way that you're, you know, you're not giving a handout, but you're trying to go above and beyond and have this like team first mentality of what you can bring to the table um, instead of someone giving you an order or someone giving you something. I think a lot of it's to be said in that quote. Yeah, I, I love the interpretation of that. I haven't heard it interpreted the way that you have, but I think that that's very valid. I like that a lot, especially in um, some of the more tense political climates that we're in right now. It's, it's always a great thing to ask what you can do for your country because, I mean, our country needs a little bit of help, you know? Yeah, 100% all aspects in every different sector and feel like now more than ever, you know? <laughs> the coronavirus, yeah. Uh like racial tensions along the lines activism there's so much you can do right right and i'll make sure to get to some of that today in our in our talk because i know that you um have a piece in the daily Bruin that talks a little bit about some of these uh some of these related tensions not completely um similar but related um third rapid fire question nick what is one of your superpowers like uh Superpowers that I wish I had or superpowers that I think I have? No, what are the, what, are, what is one of the superpowers that you know you have? <laughs> um, I think, I feel like I have a pretty good um, way to connect with others. I think just finding different commonalities, different walks of life, even language barriers. I think being able to connect with each individual and like understand where they're coming from and kind of just bring people together. I kind of I think that's one of my favorite things to do is kind of like a magnet and just bring everyone to the table and I just be able to, I don't know, just create such a positive environment where everyone's having a good time and everyone's voice feels like they're heard. I think right. for me, like creating that culture and environment, and I feel like it's contagious. And I like to think that that's a superpower I have. Right. That's so important. It's really, really hard to build these communities and spaces where people feel like they are a part of it, one, and, and also have something to contribute to. So a little quick follow-up on that. What do you think are some of the reasons why you're so successful at building that community? I mean, I can personally vouch from the community we have within our own lab group, and I can certainly see from the the peers that you've worked with in, in AAP, you're clearly really good at it. But for someone, let's say, someone who wants to build that community or wants to be that person 
the, that magnet that you speak of. What do you think are, are some things that you would tell them when they're struggling with building a community? I think, uh, I think for me, it kind of like sticks with something my grandfather told me is there's always something you can learn from every individual you meet. Um, there's a helicopter behind me, so I'm sorry if there's in some interference, but I think like there's, there's always a story to be heard and told. And I think like coming with the like, perspective and mentality that there's always something to take away a new perspective, new culture you can, you can learn from, or, or maybe someone's older and wiser than you has been through, the, been through some stuff and they could tell you what to avoid, what to do, <laughs> what they wish they would have done better. I think it's just coming in with kind of, kind of this ignorance in a, in, a, in a way, but you want to overcome that ignorance and be able to be educated and, and just understand, understand more. Cause I feel like the moment you think, you know, everything is the moment you're, you feel, you feel like you're truly lost. Um, so yeah, just always having that, uh, there's always something you can learn. I think that's the refreshing part of everything. So I, I think we're coming to build a community, like being able to, to connect and not afraid to, to learn and admit the parts that you don't know. There's probably a long winded answer, but I think that's what I've tried to come in with. Yeah. I love that. And I, I second that because I know that when, when I've had my successes at building community, what, what that looks like is someone coming to the table and like really being excited about talking about something. And the only way that we're able to give a platform to those people or to anyone in general is to lend an open ear, be completely curious and assume that we know nothing because that other person is, is their own self-professed expert and they really love talking about the things that uh, they're passionate about. So I love that concept. And I think that anyone who is looking to build community, start with listening, start with this, um, this ignorance that, that Nicholas talks about, not quite ignorance, but this curiosity, right? Because there is something, everything, there is something that everyone can teach you. And I think going from that perspective, you'll always have a space that welcomes others because people love talking about things that they love, right? 100%. I think that's the best way to be able to connect with someone's find what they're really passionate about. Right, right. Okay, Nick, what is one of your favorite accomplishments? I think you, one of my favorite accomplishments, accomplishments is you touched on it earlier. Um, I really think it was the, for me, it's the Daily Bruin article. And I think the reason that is, is because I felt like specifically in higher education for a lot of like students of color or underrepresented first generation students they didn't really have that voice or that that platform to really express how they really felt and it wasn't until like I shared those experiences in my peer learning sessions that you mentioned earlier that I realized like this wasn't just one this isn't just unique to me but rather just an experience that happens that does not get talked about and I feel like the, the reason I'm proud of it is because I was able to raise awareness and call issue to like a prevalent platform that you know like racism does exist in higher education spaces, but how to overcome it. And you really can't change anything until it's faced. And there's a Baldwin quote that I'm definitely misquoting, but I felt like the first step is awareness. And then from there, like finding solutions to overcome um, the problem. And so for me, uh, writing that piece was super important, prevalent to me. Yeah, and I'm going to make sure to double down on that because it's it's something that is both relevant to the is relevant to the present climate, but also has been relevant for years to come. And I think that it's a, it's a one really big thing that um, I'd love to share with our audience. So I'll, I'll touch back on the, 
touch base on that again soon. Um, a couple more questions. What is one thing you're challenged by right now, Nick? Uh, <laughs> I think for me, it's trying to figure out what to do with my days. I feel like I'm in an interesting spot where, you know, I'm completely done applying to medical school. I just finished my gap year job and then I start in August. And so for me, it's trying to um, figure out what to do with those days. Like, do I want to completely be a potato, watch Avatar all day long? Um, Do I want to learn a new skill? Do I want to prep for med school? Do I want to be um, completely working out 24 (laughs) seven? I think for me, uh, just trying to, just trying to find that balance. And I felt like I've tried to do decent at it and, I'm trying to learn, I'm actually trying to learn Korean right now. So that's like a big challenge that I'm facing. Um, it's a lot different than learning, uh, you know, a language that uses our alphabet. Um, and then just trying to stay active, trying to keep up running. Um, and then, yeah, I'm also trying to, uh, taking a medical Spanish course right now. So I guess for me, just trying to improve my languages right now is how I'm spending my time. Super cool. Why Korean? um one of my best friends uh, we went to kindergarten together and she also graduated uh ucla with me um we've been hanging out a lot and um she's from korea and so i feel like it'd be really cool to like communicate with with her parents and her and then i also had really good friends and um back in high school um, Mm -hmm. and unfortunately they weren't able to finish their education um in the united states um something happened with uh like like I, the visa, I'm not 100% sure, but um, they unfortunately like are couldn't finish their education in the United States, so moved back to Korea. And so, one of my dreams, or where I hope to, I was planning to visit them in in April before all this stuff happened. But I think mm-hmm. it'd be really great to like visit them and then be able to communicate in their native tongue. And I also think there is definitely a, a subset of population I'll see in the future um, that will only speak Korean. <laughs> I think it'd be really cool for me to be able to do that, even though, uh, you know, I'm not Korean at all. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's super cool. I I always loved asking this question because it really humanizes people. I mean, like people will see the insignia on your chest and they'll, they'll think, dang, UCSF, you must grind every single day, but we're all human. Like we watch, I mean, I'm on book, I'm personally on book three of Avatar, The Last Airbender. I just watched an episode this afternoon. Excellent. But yeah, I just want to like break that veil and show people that we also are human. We also have these struggles. We also don't know whether we should be a potato or watch Avatar or exercise all day. Like we have the same problems that you guys do. So I love that you shared that. Um, And I also have the same experiences. Uh, And anytime I open my mouth and speak like a lick of Spanish, every, (laughs) every patient's family that looks at me, they're like, what? Say that again. (laughs) And I, and I, and it's like the, it's really basic Spanish. Like, does this hurt? Are you okay? <laughs> or I'll always leave the room. Um, if, if I, if we have a patient that needs like complete translation, um, doesn't speak half English, half Spanish, but like completely Spanish. Right. I'll always leave the room and I'll always say then un buen dia, because it's like a phrase that I love saying. It just feels good when I say it, it like rolls off my tongue and every patient will be like, what did he just say that what and then every translator will be like dude you don't need me and then i always say that's the only phrase i know i'm sorry but that's the only <laughs> phrase i know it's it's my go-to anyway 
Nick, what is something generous you've done recently? Um, that's a good question. Generous? Um, I don't know if I would constitute this generous, but um, I've been recently working with a lot of mentees just with regards to like working on their, their MCAS and their primary and just, you know, listening and answering all their concerns. I just remember me applying last year, how like this felt like a, I was going into like a black hole. Like I had no idea like what would happen am I applying to the right amount of schools? Like, will anyone even view my application? Um, right. So it's just been good to like, you know, just from all the mentors that have helped me and guided me and their advice and their two cents on, on the process and being able to provide that to, you know, individuals that, you know, they don't have, they don't, you know, they don't have much experience in the field, like their parents aren't medicine or, or whatnot, or they just didn't have those opportunities. And so for me being able to say like, Hey, I think this is what a med school is looking for and all the knowledge I've learned. Um, so it's been really great. And to see mentees, like, uh, you know, the first draft, the personal statement isn't always the, the, the most brightest. Um, but to go from that to like, you know, a well-crafted essay um, that shares their story, I think has been really fun and really powerful. And it's been such a learning experience. Um, so for me, I think the, in the re recent past, just working with mentees on their, their AMCAS and helping craft their story has been a really fun experience for me. Yeah, I, I definitely classify that as generous. That's great. I love that you're doing that. And I, I, I've just been thinking recently, I, I always find it really interesting how people have so many questions when it comes to the application like how many schools to apply to? Should I write it like this? Should I write it like that? But uh, there's not that volume of questions when it comes to the stuff that leads up to the application. Like, should I engage in this? Should I engage in that extracurricular? Should I take this class or that class, right? So I always find that interesting that like the application, I guess it's, it's something that's like really tangible. You can hold on to it. Oh, it's the application. This is like where all the chips go into the table. But um, I always wondered, why students didn't ask that many questions of the stuff beforehand. Even freshmen, they're always like, huh, how many reach schools should I apply to? And I'm like, what? You just got into UCLA. How do you even know about reach schools? What about Chem 14A? How about ask about that? <laughs> I mean, I think it's always interesting to see how people look a hundred steps down the line. Um, but yeah, I think the, the questions that come up, it's just, there's no like how to manual of how to do the application. Like, there's no what is it it's just the personal comments like there's no direct prompt for your personal statement right. or uh how do you write your most meaningful like wh what do you mean by most meaningful like what do you want me to share right. um just like the ambiguity involved i feel like uh, people at mcas really get a kick out of that <laughs> like i don't know why they set it up like that i mean i like that it's open-ended but yeah I, I think with with the audience that we're working with pre-meds tend to be on the question everything and to say it nicely to say it a little bit more negatively neurotic and <laughs> we just love asking questions um so yeah we we have this like perfectionist label and i think for good reason and it makes sense it's there's a lot on the line we're a high aspire, high aspiring group of people so it makes sense but i just wish that it could be easier for people so they don't have to bug out all the time you know <laughs> Yeah, I guess it's just part of the process, you know, <laughs> it's it's all a growing process. And I think if anyone's out there listening, like we, we all go through it. Michael's gone through it. The other people he's interviewed and maybe not all of them, but most of them have gone through it. So just one thing, you know, this too shall pass <laughs> and just yeah. get through it and, and move on. 
Yeah, 100%. I mean, I'll give an example. Uh, thank or bless this man. His name is Alex. He's an MS3 now. And this man answers all of my questions. I literally asked him like a couple of weeks ago, hey, uh, I'm planning on studying these 10,000 cards and watching these videos. And then I'm going to do it on this date and that date. What do you think about that? And that was like my question. What do you think about that? How is anyone going to answer that question? But even me, like got into medical school, there's always something else to be neurotic about. So I completely get it. Um, we're, and, and Alex is so grateful because, I mean, I'm so grateful for Alex because he spends all the time to deal with my neuroticism. Um, and that's what we're trying to do for everyone else, just trying to make a healthier environment so that we all don't get in our own heads. But it, I mean, it happens to all of us, really. All right, Nick, last question. What are you grateful for today? Uh, I, I know this might be a mainstream answer, but I think I really believe it. Um, like the one silver lining that has come with this pandemic is being with my family. Mm. So I think just being able to be all under one roof with my older brother, my younger sister and my parents, like that's super rare. Like, you know, going to going away to college or way to med school, you know, you don't have your parents in your backyard, but that's literally where I am. And right. I couldn't be more thankful for that. And I've, I've been working on my cooking and trying to be a, a better chef for when I go to San Francisco because I can't have grandma bail me out when I lived in LA and she would cook me meals. Um, so I was able to cook for my family and just like have a family dinner, like I'll talk politics, talk like what's going on in the family, what's going on every day, the day to day. Um, just being able to be there and hear each other and feel each other's warmth, I think has been super special. Um, so yeah, I've just been, I think that one silver lining has really like pushed me and just really made me grateful for the opportunities because I don't know. It's not, you don't realize it will never go back to the same when you um, like leave to college or whatnot, like your parents or your brothers, your sisters will never be in the same place all at the same time. Like schedules are so insane, but to get that time back, it's been a, been a true blessing. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. I've always liked the really positive attitude that you bring to the table, no matter what situation we're in. And um, I mean, I'm feeling the effects of it too. It's It's been nice to not just down heels all day and just actually eat Vietnamese food that my mom helps cook for me. I mean, she doesn't help. She does all of it basically. So I'm extremely grateful for that. So yeah, I I have been thinking about this pandemic and I've been hearing some of these like crazy statements that uh, really shed some light on the pr perspective of, of this pandemic and all the timing that, that goes into it. But like the one that really stuck out to me was um, there's this entrepreneur named Gary V and he said something along the lines of if this pandemic had started two to three months earlier or um, things had been closed down a little bit faster then Kobe Bryant's like clinic probably would have closed down. They probably wouldn't have had a basketball clinic and Kobe probably wouldn't have gotten a helicopter and he probably would be still alive today. And I just, I just, whenever I hear that, it's just like, man, a lot of it is just so out of our control. So why do we spend so much time thinking about all the negative things? Why don't we think about all the positives, like being able to uh, see our family, even though our schedules will never align again like this in the future. Instead, we, we always like complain about man, the, the gym is closed again. I can't eat out at a restaurant everywhere. But 
there's just so much good. And, and that's one thing that I really respect about you is that you're always really positive and optimistic when you look at um, even the worst of things. Thanks, man. Yeah, I think a lot of it's for my parents. I think, you know, there's two different ways to look at the, the glass, right? The glass in the world, half full or half empty. And I think trying to look at the bright side of things is what keeps me going. And right. yeah, I, I mean, there's a lot of, there's a lot of things you can complain about, but I don't know. There's also a lot of things you can enjoy and I'd rather focus on that. Right. That reminds me actually of my favorite quote by a guy named Carlos Castaneda. And it goes, uh, you can either make yourself happy or make yourself miserable. The amount of work is the same. So you can actually go either way. It's just as exhausting to be happy as it is to be sad, you know, but you have the, the option to choose. And I think it's so amazing that a lot of us default to sadness, but imagine our lives if we would default to positivity. I think that's really powerful and something that you, you exemplify. But yeah, man, it's crazy. And just imagining if Kobe was alive, like it seems like, seems like an alternate universe to me. It does. It still feels surreal that, that he's gone. Um, yeah, tough. I mean, it's, it is really tough. It's interesting how the world works and how timing works. And yeah, you're right. If uh, you know the pandemic occurred just a few months earlier, he'd be here. Yeah, it's crazy. It's crazy. So let's uh let's transition to something that's kind of kobe-esque to um uh to 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 pay homage to the legend's career this is something that i've always wanted to hear from you and i and i want to get the inside scoop no bsing around here because i need i have a couple years left in the tank and i need some championships nicholas you you have won how many i am championships uh 10 <laughs> 10 i am championships <laughs> I am zero for seven. I have partaken in seven IM leagues and won zero. The closest I've gotten was like the semifinals, like a couple of times. So two wins away. So my question for you is, tell me what the secret is to winning IM championships. You got to have a, bl a blueprint or something. Ten is insane. Dude, all you have to do is put 24 in your Instagram and the wins will start coming. <laughs> I'm, I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, I think... I think for me, I think this goes back to, to one of my superpowers. I think being able to connect. I've just met some really incredible people along my path. And whether that be at Wooden or just through friends, like Wooden's our, our gymnasium for those who don't know at UCLA. But just being able to like form these connections and like, especially on the basketball court or football, like you, you know when you have a connection with someone and you know, it's it's fun when they just bring that team first attitude. Like, if you score, I score, I score, you score. It's really fun, and I've just been able to make like some really good friends along my path. Like, I had my friend uh, Priya. Like, she's one of the most athletic peeps I've ever met in my life, and um, and just being able to play play with her. Like, we've won I think like six championships together, and we just had a dynamic duo. Like, we would play basketball together. Like, she would cross people over, hit threes. And I, I would do my best to just get down the court and just run as fast as I can to make my layups. And on the football field, like, oh man, she was a quarterback, wide receiver. Like, no one could, no one could guard either of us. It was over. It was over. So I yeah. think just being able to form those connections with those people, and uh, you know, really just have like a solid, like solid group of friends and people that love to to play sports too. I, and I found like a really good, good uh, group of peeps that like you know, just really like love 
academics, love medicine, but also know how to relax with some sports. Um, but yeah, man, you would have won the championship if uh, you would have joined the, the Burnthal Lab football team. I invited everyone that fall. Yeah, I can imagine. You said you said you didn't play football, or you had something on Wednesdays, I think. <laughs> yeah, I also don't play football, but yeah, man, I've been trying so hard to win this basketball championship, and I can't do it. And I think it's because I don't have the power of friendship. I think you, you master the power of friendship. I've never met this Priya person, but um, I think I know who she is. She's the yeah. I think I know who she is. I've seen her play before, and I just remember being like. Dude, this girl's unstoppable. <laughs> her, uh, yeah, she's super good. Her sister was actually like, because you know how the Kobe had like the Mamba team. Mm-hmm. Like her sister was super good, and she'd play against the Mamba team at like those club teams would go at each other. And I know Priya's taken uh, like photos with Kobe before, <laughs> and her sister. They've gotten co- photos with him together. They're a big wow. basketball family. <laughs> it's all gone full circle. I love it. I love it. So um, I wanted to transition, Nick, because this is one of uh, the, the more important things that I wanted to touch on today, but we touched upon it a little bit earlier, and it's this article that you wrote for the community and opinion section for the Daily Bruin. Um, for those of us who are unaware of UCLA's uh, infrastructure, the Daily Bruin is our campus newspaper. And Nicholas, in April 2nd, I'm glad you did not write it on April 1st, (laughs) April 2nd in 2019, um, Nick published this op-ed, and I'll read a a couple of portions of it that I thought were pretty pretty salient, and then um, you can kind of walk me through your thoughts on why you generated this piece, who this piece was for, et cetera, et cetera. Does that sound okay? Sounds great to me. All right, so the the title of this op-ed is... Op-ed, for students of color, imposter syndrome can add to the challenge of college, right? Simple, pretty simple. Everyone understands what we're going to talk about in this, in this piece. So I'll read the first couple of paragraphs because I think it, it paints a good picture of what we're talking about. It was a crisp fall evening, a month into my third year at UCLA. I was tenaciously studying away in my favorite lounge on campus when an old peer named Bryce approached me. He and I took almost every lower division course together, and he was someone who was not afraid to share his opinion on any topic. The topic of medical school came up in our small talk, and Bryce said, I had the best chance of getting in. When he asked why, he said, it's because you're Mexican, right? I froze in disbelief, unsure of how to respond. Uh, And then a couple more paragraphs with beautiful prose, but I also wanted to get to this point right here. During my first two years at UCLA, I experienced many preconceived expectations from certain peers and faculty. I heard comments such as, Nicholas, you are the first smart Mexican I've ever met, or even had a teaching assistant triple check that I received the correct score and didn't cheat because he could not believe that I could have received the second highest grade in the class. So Nick, these are some really potent stories. I'm sure they're bringing back some, some emotion and some memories, but um, I particularly love that you put out this piece because some of the quotes that you shared, like you are definitely not the only person that experiences this as a, as a PLF, as a peer learning facilitator 
for um, AAP, I have heard and had many intimate conversations where other students have felt that they only got in to UCLA because they were Mexican or they were black or insert uh, underrepresented minority here, right? And so I always forward people who are, are really feeling this imposter syndrome to your article because I think it does such a great representation of capturing the thoughts. Like those are, those are real words that were spoken and have been spoken and will be spoken. And I think that um, resonates with a lot of students in many ways. So I wanted to just get you on to the show to talk about that piece in particular, because I think even in 2019 of April, more than a year ago, that still rings true today. Could you walk us a little bit through it? Yeah, I think a lot of it for me and the reason I wrote this piece, um, a lot of it stems from where I grew up. And, you know, I grew up about, you know, five miles, 10 minutes from the border. And like my high school, everyone looked like me. Like, you know, it was like 60% Latino, like you're Spanish everywhere. Like, uh, to tell you the truth, man, I didn't even know I was brown until I got to UCLA. Like I had no idea it was I was different. Um, and it was just, you know, like, coming back home like my dentist was uh, he's he's Mexican and like the doctor I see like he speaks Spanish he's Latino and so like for me like you know I was like this is the way of life you know like everywhere is like this and then you know splat like uh, go to fall of my freshman year um, you know we're not in Chula Vista anymore especially like during those chem classes especially being in STEM you know you enter these discussions with like 20-30 people and you look around you're like damn I'm the alien out here. Like this is, this is not my high school anymore. And so, you know, there's just times and the specific memories, like you mentioned in the first paragraph, that was during my third year. But I remember during my first year, like I was taking this math class. I thought I was going to be a stats major. Um, oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> I, yeah. I thought I was going to be stats. Cause I thought it like, I, I took AP stats in high school. I was like, Oh, this is dope. But I like this. Um, but I'll never forget. Like, I remember the first midterm we took, I, I had a study group and in the study group, all, like it was, they were all like Chinese or, or Korean. And I just remember like the, the topic of our midterm score came up and I remember I, I shared mine and all of them, all of my friends, all, all three of them just looked at me disbelief. And then they said that, that, that comment, like you're the first smart Mexican I ever met or Nick, you're smart. Like, these backhanded compliments like what'd you expect me to be like you know like yeah. uh, like did you expect me to just fail out and so yeah I think for me like just walking through those the quotes I put in my op-ed they bring back a lot of memories and I I guess for me and I know for a lot of people like they just have this feeling of a mask like I remember taking these courses and especially after hearing those comments that I was just getting lucky like this wasn't all the hours I was pouring in. This wasn't all the hard work. This wasn't all the review sessions I went to or problem sets or YouTube videos I watched. It was, I was just getting lucky. And like, I was just waiting for this mask to come off of me to fail and, you know, just live up to those expectations they had, um, people had of me. And so, yeah, I think for me, it was, it was really being able to like get out of my shell and have these conversations and realize like, this isn't just happening to you, but when I joined the academic advancement program, like just hearing this happen to my students and just saying like, no, like, like just coming to the realization, like we belong here. Like we worked for this, like, uh, like the students they get when they say, oh, I just got lucky. I, I, I did well on that midterm. Like, no, no, you didn't. 
you deserve that's all your hard work that's a testament to you and uh you weren't put on this campus just because of the color of your skin just because they needed to increase diversity like you got here because you deserve it um and so i think for me just being able to to have that piece out there and you know shed some light on a topic that doesn't get talked about um that often but i think this conversation still needs to continue and obviously with the current state of the united states like there's a lot of work to have a lot of work to, to be done, 100%. Um, right. But yeah, I think, yeah, every time I, I reread that op-ed, it definitely sends me back to, to those times. Yeah, and I, I want to double back on something that you said earlier, because I think it is really, really powerful and potent and, and almost a responsibility or an obligation for people like in our positions, mentors to other students, um, like like every other PLF essentially, or, or just every other friend. And I think that when we hear, or when you, when we hear some of these, these, these microaggressions that sound like, Oh yeah, you're the first smart Mexican I've ever met. Um, You're going to get into medical school because you're Mexican, right? Like these backhanded compliments, like you mentioned in our head, we can almost convince ourselves that, yeah, they're right. I mean, schools need to fulfill a quota and whatnot, but I love that what you do, and this is something that I make it a point to do with my friends and with all the students that I have too, is I always like shut that train of thought down like immediately. I love that you say, no, what about the extra review sessions you put in than the other person? It has nothing to do with brown, white, black boy or girl. It has to do with one extra hour of work two extra long nights of studying more effectively than another person, right? Giving people something tangible to hold on. And I really want to double down on this because it's super important. It's our responsibility to stop people from thinking the, the status quo, because I think it's having awareness and having conversations. That's the first part. But the second part is implementing it in our daily actions and routines. And this is the easiest way to do it. Anytime you hear someone say, ah, uh, yeah, I was just lucky or, uh, I mean, it's just all chance. I mean, I was just born into this. That's like, that's got to stop immediately. You got to reinstill the confidence in these people because if they don't believe it, no one will believe it. Right. I love the, I love the person or the student that says, you know what? Yeah. I might be the first smart Mexican I, you have ever met, but actually I'm not the first smart person who has worked harder than you, you have ever met, right? Like that should be the narrative. It's that I put in more work. I deserve this it has nothing to do with being Mexican, right? Like why would, why would that ever come up in your mind? And I think that we have so many platforms to do this from AAP to even like talking to our, talking to our friends. Like that's the biggest thing that I, um, that I see as an opportunity when a friend goes up to you and they say like, yeah, you know, I just, I just got lucky like that immediately. You just cut it off, whatever it is, whether it's losing 10 pounds, people will always say, Oh yeah, I just followed this like fad intermittent fasting diet. Like, no, immediately that was you complete agency. Because I think when we do this, when we give people props, when they deserve it, we can also take away excuses when they don't deserve it. Right. So when someone says, um, Ah, I just, I put on 10 pounds. I, I just, I must've been unlucky or I failed that class. I must've been unlucky, right? 
I also hate hearing that because no, it's not because you were unlucky. It's because you didn't go, you went to the gym one time this month. You've been eating late night every single day. It's not, it's not luck, right? You failed this class, not because your professor is bad. I'm sure he's bad, but he's bad for 300 other students and some students got an A and you didn't, right? Like I, like I'm really passionate about putting the center of agency back into the person because I think a lot of times we externalize it. We say it's because it's because like of the color of my skin, or it's because I got lucky, or it's because or conversely it's because I got unlucky. And I love that that is something that you do that you bring it back to personal actions, whether it's good or bad. You put people in their places when they need to, but you also more importantly elevate them when they need to be elevated, right? And I, I, I really like that. And I, I, I hope that that happens a little bit more often and it can happen both ways. So I think that's one important corollary or extension of having the conversation um, is this action of just putting people, people's like control back into their personal selves. Yeah, no, Michael, thank you for highlighting that. Yeah. I think the agency is huge and it works on both ends. Like you said, the, both the positive and the negative. And, you know, I think, you know, you can worry so much about curves or professors teaching, but the one thing you can control is, is what you do and right. what you do to prepare and how you perform. Um, so just putting yourself in those positions and giving yourself credit when you succeed, but also yeah. being able to reevaluate and relook at yourself and like, just bring, like you said, the sense of agency, like at the forefront. I mean, obviously there's stuff out of your control, but most of the time you can control what's in your life. Um, and just being able to to go and rise above each challenge i think it's huge right and i i think that i think it's so easy for us to say because we've gotten accustomed to it but i'm always trying to put myself in the mind of a person who's paralyzed like a person who um is unable to give themselves credit but also unable to not not make excuses like a person with an external locus of control and i think when i'm like trying to take the mind of that person it's always because I think it's because it's so convenient. It's so convenient to blame a professor or it's so convenient to blame luck, right? If I was lucky, then if I were lucky, then I can't do anything about it, right? Maybe I'm lucky this time. Maybe I'm lucky that time. If it were the professor's fault, I can't do anything about it. It's not my fault, right? I think that's what it is. We, we never really want to have fault, right? And I think it's so interesting that I see more people who don't want to accept fault, but also don't want to accept credit. I think that's so interesting because I would imagine there'd be a lot of people that don't want to accept fault and want to take all the credit. Like that's kind of like the narrative that I see in the media, like that guy who always makes excuses. And if anything goes right and it's, it's they're good, right? But I actually don't see a lot of that. And I've always been curious as to why. What I see more of are people who shit on themselves right the whole time they take fault for everything and then they never give themselves credit it's kind of a weird opposite right or um the the type of students that we were talking about earlier where they don't give themselves credit but they also don't take fault it's just an interesting thing so I, i've always been trying to figure out how to get into the, the psychology of these people and one thing that has been affected and i'll just reiterate it until the the horse is beaten dead um, but it's to really stop people from, it's like to make them conscious that they're thinking in a certain way and stop them immediately. Like it's not luck. 
it's all you, whether good or bad, it's you. So I love that we're talking about this um, because I think one, it doesn't get brought up enough. And two, it gets brought up to the points of let's have these conversations and then it stops. You know, I, I hate it when it stops there. I'd rather like, I, I would rather spend another hour to figure out how we can implement it in our lives. And I think that's one way we can do it. Do you have any other, um, any other things that an, an audience can like physically and tangibly do, whether it's for themselves or for the people that they care about to kind of battle this imposter syndrome or, or battle, uh, yeah, battle imposter syndrome based on um, racial microaggressions. I think the biggest thing, and this goes back to like a class is, you know, when this stuff happens to you and when these aggressions do happen, there's three options. There's one, you know, you brush it under the, the rug and you pretend like it didn't say that. Three, you can get really mad or sorry, two, you can get really, really mad and get into a yelling match or three, you can come from a place of education. And I think the biggest way and the biggest thing to diffuse is you can really guide people into how they aggress you and just ask clarifying questions. Like, like oh, you, like for example, if someone says like, oh, you're the first smart Mexican, like, what, what do you mean by that? Like, mm-hmm. what, do you, what are you trying to say? Um, and just like try to guide their train of thought so they realize like what's wrong. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think like, there's ways to diffuse and obviously you have to pick your battles and maybe there's times where, you know, you just can't get through to someone. But I think most of the time, especially like in educational spaces, I think coming from a place of education um, can be huge and critical. Um, But it's definitely something that needs to be talked about. And I think having like support groups and spaces to where you can um, like talk about these situations and um, hopefully like, I think for me, like another uh, solution would be just, you know, I'd, I wish they would implement the stronger, like a diversity requirement or, you know, uh, ethnic studies courses. I feel like being able to put yourself in someone's shoes is super critical. And I know the courses like uh, I took at UCLA, some of them were just so powerful and riveting and like really made you reanalyze and rethink about yourself and also other individuals and what the plight they have to go through. Um, and so I think just education is huge. Um, yeah, some both from a class end and also from just being able to tell another person like what you're doing is not is not okay. Yeah, I love that, and I I would also add to that um, one of the probably most powerful resources I've had in learning about the struggles of other people is just really being friends with them. Right, I've met so many people on the basketball court that have dealt with a million and one struggles that I will never deal with in my lifetime. And just by hooping with them, then heading up to like feast or BCAF to just grab a bite and just chatting, like these things come up and like these conversations come up. And if we do our part in one, making friends that look different and come from different backgrounds than us, first of all, that's just fun, right? And then two, listening when they're speaking, I think that that can go just as far as a course that makes you introspect and think about all the academic, all the academic portions of this. But what I found personally helpful for me, because I've taken these courses too, and sometimes they go over my head. I can't really understand all the statistics because um, it, it doesn't like, I don't, because I haven't had that lived experience. I can't completely understand what they're talking about. But when I'm playing basketball 
with someone and then we we go out for a bite and we're just chatting and he's talking about quotes that i can completely understand like it's because you're mexican right like everyone can understand that that's such a powerful quote like what someone said that to you or nicholas you're the first smart mexican i've ever met that sounds way more close to home than something like oh 12 percent of xyz experienced this way this it's it just that seems too academic for me so I would encourage people if they're also really curious to just listen to their friend groups. People come from so many different walks of life and they have so many things to share. And I, and I love, I love learning about the world through friends because it's so easy for them to open up to you. And it's so easy for you to ask questions in a safe space. Right. But if you're in, a, in an academic lecture hall and you have a, you have a tough question, you think, you think it might rub people the wrong way. You might be afraid to ask it. But I think within a friend group, you'd be like, man, I, I just, I, I'm honest. I don't know what I'm talking about, but I have this question. Like, what do you think about it? And I've had so many good conversations from just saying, bro, like, I have no idea. Can you tell me? I'm sorry I offended, if I offend you. Can you just tell me a little bit more about this? I think that's super effective, personally. Yeah, I can't agree with you more. I think just coming from a place of I, want, I don't know, but I want to learn, it's huge and crucial. Um, I just wish more people are like that. And if we can all, you know, diversity with that aspect, like we have so much differences, but in that differences, we can learn so much more. And through those intersections, we, we can also find similarities there too. Um, just like family, culturally, religiously, language wise, there's so many things that are similar about us. Um, but you can only find that through these conversations. And I'm really happy you mentioned that, Michael. I think that's huge. Having friends yeah. from all walks of life is incredible. Yeah. And it, it makes it so easy. I, I like, I almost have not, I can, I can say that I have n almost nothing in, 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 uh, similarities or in common ground. That's what I was looking for in common ground with some people, but like one thing you love, like something like basketball or music or, um, paintings. I don't know. I don't know why paintings came up. I don't know anyone <laughs> that loves paintings. Uh, I'm sure people love paintings, but, man, that stuff is universal. And that opens the door to so much, right? Just so much can come from bouncing an orange ball, throwing it at a circular, circular hoop. Take advantage of those things. You don't have to do, you don't have to do the most and, and change to an ethnic studies major and, and search for every bit of, bit of uh, information out there on the web. You just start with home, start with something that's comfortable and then have those uncomfortable conversations when you're, um, in a safe space. I think that's where we go. All right. Well, I love that discussion and I know that there's going to be very, there's going to be a, a big load of people that benefit from, uh, the, the dialect that we just have. So thank you for that. I have a couple of questions to wrap up, um, the, our, our time together today. And, and most of it just kind of tries to one humanize you and also to get your thoughts on some things that, uh, pre-med students a little bit earlier on in their journey should kind of think of. Um, so are you ready for those questions? Yeah, let's do it. Okay. So first, I know, I know you're a reader because we had a lab meeting about uh, the political climate recently, and you were very quick to list out a lot of books that you have been consuming. So my first question, I'm really uh, eager to hear actually, what is the book that you've given most as a gift or what is one book that has greatly influenced your life? 
Oof. To sum it down to one book, <laughs> it's yeah, it's difficult. Um, trying to think. Honestly, I think the the biggest book, and I'm just gonna ride home um, what we've been talking about. I don't know if you've uh, read this. I think it's by Carnegie. Carnegie, is Andrew Carnegie? Uh, it's called How to Win Friends and Influence People. Uh, I don't Dale know if you've Carnegie. heard of it. Dale Carnegie. D- Dale Carnegie. Carnegie. There you go. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I just think there's so much. Like, no, <laughs> I just remember the first few pages. He's just, there's like no studies or no one teaches you how to interact with other individuals. Like, there's no how to book. Um, oh, Michael, I'm not sure if your audio cut out. No, you're good. You're good. Okay. Got you. Um, yeah, the, like, there's no uh like instruction manual they don't teach you like in elementary or, or middle school like you know what are the formalities how do you connect with people how do you how do you learn from people and i just remember reading that book i've read it twice three times already um like oh. there's just such a big uh, art of communication and just being able to you know connect how to respond um just how to be just a good overall person and human being and how to learn from others and Actually, the biggest art of communication is actually not communicating um, with your voice, but actually being a better listener and mm-hmm. also how important and crucial body language is, stuff mm-hmm. like that. There's so much that goes into being like a good communicator with others. Um, and so, yeah, I know the title is kind of weird, but <laughs> I just, yeah. there's just a lot of lessons you can learn um, from it. Um, that's like the one riveting uh, book that like, changed how I communicate with people. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I read it first when I was a freshman in college and I'm going to be honest, I put it down within a, a week. Um, I thought it was, it spoke in kind of like generic platitudes uh, and it, it didn't really apply to me. That's kind of what I thought at the time, but I've recently picked it up back again and I think it's so amazing how some perspective can really change the value of something. Now that book I can tell is like infinitely valued. It's a gold mine. Um, so yeah, I, I would highly recommend that one as well. Yeah. And I think there's just always something to improve and learn upon your communication. Maybe you've already been doing the things he talks about in the book, but maybe there's some things you don't know or some things to improve. Right. Right. I love that you've been reading it multiple times. That's a, that's something that I've been trying to get into, like reading some of the canons in my life um, multiple times. So uh, second question, Nick, what purchase of $100 or less, so a small purchase, has had and has had the most, um, sorry, what purchase of $100 or less has most positively impacted your life in the last six months? I recently bought um, an iron, iron, um, what's it called? Uh, it's uh, kind of like a pan, an iron, iron stove, like a Dutch oven. Oh, I recently iron. Put, oh, God. iron cast, iron cast. Iron cast, yes. Uh, yes. Yeah. That thing is a big game changer. <laughs> um, and like, uh, I just, just imagine you cooking, baking your, your chicken or, or beef or whatnot. And you don't have to transfer that to like a, just a pan, like a, a pan you put in the oven. Right. <laughs> it's just your everything. You can literally cook anything and everything on there from breakfast foods to, to chicken, to steak, 
Uh, it's been a big game changer. And I think, you know, I'm a big meal prep guy. And the fact that I could fit like three to four like pieces of meat on there, uh, it's just super convenient. <laughs> I'd, I'd recommend um, anyone who's trying to get into cooking or, you know, I feel like as we're busy college people, like it really isn't that hard to cook. I think I was like very afraid. I avoided it like the plague. I guess you can't really say that anymore because people don't avoid the pandemic. People are still going outside. <laughs> um, but, you know, just pull up a YouTube video. Super simple. Like, you do not need to be super fancy. You don't need to be Gordon Ramsay out here. Like, something you can make, can make like four to five meals in 45 minutes. Um, mm. So that's been a game changer. Highly yeah. recommend. I love that. I love that. I I'm going to take up, I mean, do you, do you know the brand or the model or where you found it or anything like that? So I can cop one for myself. Amazon prime hundred um, percent. I'm not sure on the exact model, but you'll, you can find it. It's like 10 and a half inch diameter, 14 bucks, Amazon prime. Boom. That's where it is. Yeah. I will. I miss the taste of, I remember missing the taste of food when I was on my all heel liquid diet. I'm sure a nice cast iron chicken breast would have solved that. All right. Number three, Nick, how has a failure set you up for later success? Do you have a favorite failure of yours? Um, I don't know necessarily like a favorite failure, but I just remember it was so interesting. I think looking back on my college experience in particular, or even in high school, like it started then, like I got cut from my uh, volleyball team my freshman year, but then that led me to to track. Or I remember my freshman year of, or sophomore year of college, I really wanted to be part of the board for, for CPR and I got cut mm. and I didn't make the cut. But then uh, with that free time I had um, left over, I applied to be a peer learning facilitator and I got that position. Or um, I really wanted to be the president for this hospital club that I really wanted to be a part of but I didn't get it and then with that free time I joined the Flying Samaritans and became a Special Olympics coach Mm. Um, and so it just felt like you know one door closed but in reality another one opened and it was like just those failures I mean I think I would take it personally but then I just realized like hey I know I didn't get this but maybe I can put myself in another position um, and grow from there and yeah I guess the times I I got cut like it really did open another door and I felt like I grew so much from those experiences and just looking back on everything like man what if I didn't get cut from CPR and I got it I would have never been a PLF maybe I never would have worked with you like it's wild like the different directions like you can take you know yeah yeah I love that I I am um I think this might be interesting to you but I was planning on doing this in the next couple of days, but you remember, you remember on Friday nights where a sports center would not give a top 10, but they would give a not top 10. Yeah. I watch those all the time. <laughs> yeah. I still watch those on YouTube. I think something would be really interesting in this day and age where social media kind of gives you all the highlights. I mean, your resume and your CV are your highlights of your professional career. I think it'd be hilarious and also very, very insightful for me or you or everyone to create a resume of failures. I think that would be really interesting. I, I, my CV would be longer than a hundred pages. Yeah. I think that'd be amazing. And I think, you know, people are afraid to talk about failures, but those are really the opportunities for growth and it happens to everyone and it doesn't get talked about enough. You you see all these like successful people and you think like, Oh, they must've gotten everything, but no, 
like I've applied to a million things and I haven't gotten them. <laughs> you know, like it just, it just happens to everyone. <laughs> exactly. I, I'll have everyone know this is live and, and forever memorialized, but I applied to the student stroke team six times. I'm lying. I applied seven times, right? And you're going to think that this was a uh, wonderful comeback story. I was so, I persevered and I made it to the end, but I got rejected that seventh time, just like <laughs> I got rejected the sixth, fifth, fourth, third, second, and first time. And the reason I didn't apply the eighth time is because I had graduated. That's why I didn't apply to the eighth time. So, um, I like this idea. I'm glad that you're willing to share your failures. And, I'm, and I, like I said, you're one of the most positive leaning people I know. And every failure clearly is not even defined by the word failure. You're always looking into to what it led you to. And I'm so glad that you failed and became quote unquote failed and became that PLF because otherwise we wouldn't have met and, and done all the great things that we have together. All right, yeah. Nick, go ahead. Go. No, you go ahead. Well, I was just going to wrap up. So if you have any other comments, this is a good time. Oh, I thank you for highlighting that last part. Um, yeah, I think it's super, super awesome to hear. Not that you got rejected eight times, but that, you know, you're, you're able to share it, you know, and yeah. I think that that speaks volumes to you. And um, yeah, just to not, not be afraid to share like the stuff that doesn't go right. Um, and so, yeah, I guess, to wrap up to that you know wrap up with that my final words is like you know i super cliche but one door closes another one opens like you know you did some other amazing things despite like instead of being um in stroke force and just like working on channels or doing plf writing that manual getting into geffen like right. it goes to show that you don't need that you don't need even if you get rejected you can still find your way to wherever you want to go right yeah, I love that message. Couldn't have said it better myself. So I'm going to close on it and not attempt to say it better than myself. Nick, it was a pleasure speaking to you tonight. Hey, podcast. Episode's over. Please leave a review and subscribe on Apple and Spotify podcasts. What happens when you do that is a golden goose actually comes to my door with a framed picture of you. I then put that framed picture on my audio listener hall of fame. My team in Vietnam gets a ping and they light a candle. There's a moment of silence in pure gratitude because you've committed to joining our team. We then throw the world's largest silent disco party and the funds generated by that party is able to deliver the next podcast episode to your mobile device. It's hard work, but it's honest work. Thank you so much for listening and please DM me on Instagram what you thought about this episode. One last favor. Close your eyes and take a deep breath.